Hey everyone, welcome to Founders 365 with me, Stephen Haggerty. Today I'm joined by Adam Cara, he is the founder of Coaching Culture. How are you today, Adam? I'm very good, very good, very excited to do this. Good man, and let's pre-warn anyone, if you do start going blue, it's just because you're in a very cold room. Yeah, no, and genuinely I am starting to hold back the <laughs> shivering right now. So. Well, if you just start walking around, I'll understand why as well. So, okay, don't worry. Yeah. so you've got a few aspects to your story, which I love. Uh, but let's go back to sort of where it all began and how you managed to start a company called Learning Heroes and obviously sell it for a nice little fu- uh, sum by the sounds of it. And obviously that led you to where you are now. Yeah, it's funny, really. I think sometimes when I think how far back does it go, I could go back to childhood, I guess, like <laughs> most people, you know, like my mother, my, my my dad was an immigrant into this country. His country doesn't exist anymore. It was kind of taken over and he found himself here. My mother's yeah. an immigrant from Ireland. And, you know, I think growing up with that sort of a lot of self-belief given to me, a lot of, you know, you can do what you want and make what you want mm-hmm. of yourself. So I think that was unconsciously there, but my first sort of memory of this, I must have been ambitious because I think in 1994, when the lottery was being launched at high school, everybody was talking about, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to win the lottery. And I was saying, I don't need to win the lottery. I'm going to be a millionaire anyway. Yeah. And I, think, I think one of them said, well, it said on the news that to be a millionaire lifestyle, you need 10 million now. I was like, all right, I'll have 10 million then. And they're like, yeah, yeah but when we're older, it'll be, I'm like, all right, 50 million. I'll have 50 million by the time I'm 35 and I'll retire. And um, I guess a bit of a spoiler alert, I did retire four months before my 35th birthday multi-millionaire and it's just kind of weird that it's you know I, I made that you had when you were a child <laughs> yeah well I made that bet in high school that I was going to retire by 35 and it, it strangely a throwaway silly bet did shape a lot of my big life decisions around oh. quitting jobs uh, you know a nice cushy corporate job car you know it was middle of a recession i had a child on the way and for some reason i decided to quit and set up my own training company uh, all compliance training health and safety and environment and quality stuff that i didn't really care about at all but it was what i knew and set up a training company doing that and just slowly picked up different things that typical entrepreneur of jumping on shiny new objects <laughs> at the time and set up social media websites, set up environmental technologies business, set up a competitive esports business. You know, I dabbled with, I think, uh, you know, that you get told nine out of 10 businesses fail. Well, I set up 10. So I guess that's the yeah. sure way to make sure one of <laughs> that's, them wins. That's, that's, that's the hack. That's the life yeah. hack. Set up yeah, 10 yeah. businesses. Play, play the odds. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess um, – uh, the, the big claim to fame is in 2000, late 2014, very early 2015, I started an e-learning company. Um, that, I mean, it's, it's just a classic startup story. There was, you know, the the idea and then the, the, the MVP launch and the pivot and then the sort of oh, the rebrand and the growing the team and then adapting to the market and the big exit at the end as well you know i i set it up with an exit in mind i I, from day one i made decisions about who i was going to sell it to and how it would be valued and that defined the metrics you know starting with that end in mind just clarified the whole strategy throughout Mm -hmm. and 
um yeah it's, it's it was an incredible story really it can go into detail about it or talk around this what you're interested in it's for me it's, it's how you grew that business to and to get it to the level that you you sold at um because i think that's the interesting there's so many e-learning stuff out there there's so many startups starting every day as we know so many mvps being put out there pitch decks being looked at but the chances of people getting to that sellout stage are you know pretty slim let, let's face it uh but you did it it's a success uh so congratulations on that it's so funny that you did it a couple of days a couple of months before you 35th <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that's just bizarre um but for you did when you started that business did you know the level it was going to get to i guess so and in, 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 in i always you know even now i'm like okay i'm gonna be a billionaire and this is how i'm gonna get to it but it feels so far away yeah and i'm sure when i look back and go god i had no idea the reality so I, even at the time i was like okay we're gonna set this business up we're gonna sell it for five million in two years and i mean we ended up selling for more than that and it took about two and a half three years but i don't think i really knew how to get there it was a bit of you know there's this faith and there's like okay this self-belief to we could do it and what i learned along the way is probably worth more than the money to be yeah. honest you know i yeah. feel like i could go and do that again and again and again it just feels so obvious now whereas at the time i guess i used to talk like that and everybody thought i was crazy you know i'm working class background grew up with very little sort of stuff and just going around telling people yeah i'm going to be a multimillionaire and i'm going to create this business nobody believed you so yeah. i don't think Whilst I knew it or I believed it, I don't think I actually knew. It, it was so it was still unfamiliar territory every time we grew. But with if you had that sale in mind and that goal of two, two or three years, did you did you purposely run the business differently to achieve that goal? Yeah, and it's it's really interesting actually because even small decisions that you wouldn't think mattered. Um, for example do i put the company car through the business well no because when i come to sell they'll just look at the you know the the accounts differently and yeah. do I, you know small decisions but you know in the early days some of the my management team when i was saying okay i want this strategy because when we exit not all income is equal and they will look at a certain line of income and say that is worth a multiple of revenue versus that line is worth one times revenue so yeah we were you know trying to get my team to understand that we're not doing the quick and easy stuff because that won't get us to an exit whereas if we do this difficult stuff and build the the subscription income and the library of content and ip then that's going to lead to a bigger exit you know and, and, and winning over the hearts of minds of people to take that route with the end in mind whereas they were looking at next week next month how do we yeah. get the money whereas i'm thinking no the, the big win is to build this business that somebody's going to want to buy how did you manage that relationship though to because you still have to have those conversations about next week next month with the staff and and who the team yeah. but if you're still thinking oh actually next year i'm meeting a, a a potential buyer how did you manage those conversations with your team i mean it, it, because i was the most experienced i was the majority shareholder everybody had a lot of trust in me and to call the shots you know so i think like any you know i'm very very honest very transparent and i think my ideas are very well thought out so i can yeah. win people over and influence people because of the reason and rationale behind mm. what i do um 
you know, and it's just a case of like, I naturally think that way, whereas they have to be sort of talked around to understanding yeah. what, what we needed to do. So yeah, it, we got there in the end, you know, um, it's the classic yeah. on the business versus in the business, isn't it? Yeah, it's a funny one for me that because obviously for a lot of people they get into business as the technician, you know, they're the baker, they're the accountant, they're whatever, and they have to learn to be this entrepreneur. Whereas I think I always got into it being a guy about scale and systems, and I was a marketer and a customer service and a sales guy. So for me, the product was always the product, and I I had that mindset of being the owner quite early yeah but then you still got to get your hands dirty and graft and do all that hard work but i, I never you know like everyone says that emif's one of the biggest most important books in their life to me it was just quite like a, I, I don't get it if you need that then you shouldn't be in business you know without being disrespectful to those people i just always had that business entrepreneurial mindset from being young yeah it definitely sounds like that here's a here's a spin-off question then and very wide open question. Do you think anyone can be an entrepreneur or are you, is that again, it's like, are you born with it or can it be taught? No one's so, so I define very differently being an entrepreneur to being entrepreneurial. So mm. if I think anyone can be entrepreneurial, you can pick up stuff and think about it. But yeah. you know, when I first started in business, I would have never have thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I thought of myself as a business owner and I'm self-employed, yeah. you know, but because now I've lived years, doing week in week out taking risks innovating you know building products building teams listening to my market seeing opportunities and once i've lived that now i feel like i am an entrepreneur it's just part of everything i do in my core you know so i don't think anyone can be born an entrepreneur because it for me it's that level of experience of being entrepreneurial consistently for a long time well you can't be that when you're young you have to yeah. build up to it so i think that many people naturally are creative sort of problem solver mindset and that's to me a really core part of it but the, the things around the self-belief and being able to learn anything quickly and the resilience and the focus mm. and the sort of ability to lead and vision and all those things i mean you can't be born with those things they may come they might come from sports as when you're young or parent influence but I, I, I think it's a journey that you've got to go through yeah. it's, and it's hard, really hard. <laughs> <laughs> just that you just, you saying that you're just like, yeah, it is it's about, I think for me, it's got to be about that resilience. It's got to be about yeah. those days where it's all going wrong and you're questioning yourself. You question everyone. If you can't get through those moments in the frankest way possible, you're not cut out for it. Yeah. Um, because no matter what level you are, you know, when you reach your billionaire status, your problems aren't going to go away. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people think. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny because I see all these things said online. Oh, it's about the journey and not the destination. And well, it's, it's there's no little sound bite that explains it all. It's mm. you know, it's both and it's neither and it's and you know, for yeah, me, this billionaire one book that solves everything. No, and the people are looking for that often. And for me, this billionaire thing, I think sometimes people think, oh, it's about the money and the. And it, if, if I was a footballer and I said I wanted to score the winning goal in the World Cup final, you'd just say, yeah, that's that's what a footballer wants. Well, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to create a, a big, meaningful business. Yeah. You know, so the the journey that I go on, it's just absolutely about 
my own personal growth and the, my personal growth happens during the tough times that there's mm. the, the hardest times that i've been through is where i can literally feel myself sort of developing and i can tell that i'm pushing my comfort zones and i'm coping with things that i didn't think were possible it's easy when it's good you know like that's not hard uh, when everything's against you and that's when you really step up and find out what you're made of do you often do what a lot of people in our situations do and purposely make things harder so it pushes us further there's a lot of that there's a lot of um there's two sides to what i think you said there with the self-sabotage side of things i think mm. i do that not wanting to do that but i do yeah. that and make it harder um, there is also some decisions i've made which purposefully hold my feet to the fire i i'm you know there's a lot of talk about accountability and I, I i know you're a coach and you'll hold your clients to account but for me i rebel against accountability if somebody said you know i'm like who are you to say to me what i should yeah. should do what i thrive from is impressibility mm. so i like to impress people when i had a boss i had to impress my boss i don't have a boss now and impressing my mum doesn't cut it anymore <laughs> that's too easy you know so i, I do love, love you no matter what <laughs> exactly you know so i have to um, kind of have people around me that i want to kind of impress and thrive yeah. to achieve more so i do do things that force me to you, you, you know i think what really truly holds me to account is having a, a, a team of employees because ultimately mm. i have to deliver to keep yeah. up to the promises i've made those guys so i do make things harder for myself i could have lived a very easy life now um, but i've gone and you know made some risky big decisions which forced me to then push myself in for example the angel investing you know i wanted to wake up in a few years time and be an angel investor so i thought actually i probably should do some and get the experience and grow and yeah. that's that's tested me in a whole new way so amazing but when you back to learning heroes and you went through that sales process how did it feel when you were out of that business when you got that check when it was like the, the news article somewhere you know learning heroes has been sold adam is now out the business how did that feel it was a whole range of emotions and going through the sale our sale was really quick i think from the letter of intent to completion and cash in the bank was probably something like 36 days wow um, the company that bought us were serial acquirers they knew what they were doing you know so and i it's one of the things that i'd look for in a buyer i didn't there was a, some people sniffing around that i knew they were going to overthink it and it yeah. have loads of expectation but these guys they had the, the most incredible terms for us to just be able to leave the business the next day um so it felt i'm not gonna i think people expect me to say i'd given up my baby and i felt like i had something missing but i did set it up with an exit in mind yeah, so exactly. I, I i didn't attach myself to it whereas you know a lot of people who sell their business maybe they've been doing it for 10 20 30 years and they're looking to retire mm -hmm. i built an asset to sell so there was a massive sense of achievement and relief and accomplishment and there was all those great things but there was this really weird sense of that wasn't nothing's changed like mm. what now you know i think i probably i thought that i'd go and travel and i'd go and do it, but my kids are young so <laughs> i ended up doing the school pickup and the drop off and i was like you know i've, I've worked so hard for 
to now be you just... on a on a beach in Thailand and a late exactly night. yeah the highlight of my day was like walking to the local co-op to buy like a, a bacon butty and then walk home and I was like what you know so it, there was this big sense of I need to do something else and going mm. around looking at you know these um, dragons den style startups pitching for yeah. money uh, was quite good I got involved in some interesting things in the startup scene in Manchester but. It, I just, I'm just never going to get the same returns as what I get in my own business. I mean, the, the truth of it was, I was sat there at 35 thinking, I've just grown a business and sold it for 10 figures within two and a half years. It would be criminal to not go and do it again. I, yeah. I've got this formula. I know exactly how I did it and I yeah. can do it again. It was just, it would have been too. It wouldn't have been worth it for the money alone. Like the, the experience that I got from it, it was like I've got to go and use this again. So what, what were people around you saying then when you were in that retirement phase? How it sounds like this was days, not weeks of retirement. <laughs> yeah, but in that retirement phase, were people saying to you, "Look, Adam, well done, you've done it. You know, relax now." Or were people yeah. saying? Come on, you can do it again. I know what you've got it in you. Yeah, I'll be I'll be honest, right? The 36 days, the due diligence side of it, like the actual technical side of the due diligence wasn't stressful because I was kind of well organized, knew exactly mm -hmm. how to answer everything. But the actual what it meant to me in terms of like that big life changing amount of money and take me away from sort of the life I'd had to a new life and an achievement it just meant so much that that 30 days I was on edge you know it was just you know the deals you hear about people getting screwed over and deals falling through yeah. and is this too good to be true and don't the amount of times I said to myself don't count your chickens you know like yeah, I probably it, so it took me a little while to get over that and that's because i was the the founder the ceo mm -hmm. it was all on me i did all, i dealt with all the legal all the financial i dealt with all the transition and team i dealt with it all myself for me to actually then come come out of it, i think it took me well over a week to just really calm my nerves uh, which is something i don't think people really will talk about like that yeah. was just actually the it, it's especially as you knew you know from an early age almost that that was going to happen at that at that stage of your life so there's yeah. this whole story that you've been telling everyone and now you've done it well it meant so much to me in terms of you know getting people like my wife to keep faith you know and it's like okay our, our people around us are buying houses and you're putting all the money into the business rather than you know yeah. going on holidays and you know so all the things that i had sort of promised people you know big thing we talked about the resilience but the delayed gratification to be able to sacrifice mm. now for a greater future and all that was there ready you know you're so close you can see it but like it just was so far it also could have been taken away from you with one oh we've we've found this so we're not yeah. buying you now you know so it just meant so much so when it actually come off and i was going through that trying to come and i was trying to think about what's next and but what surprised me was just i don't know sort of people got on with their lives and people you know not that bothered and uh, i think i'd done a lot already in terms of who i hang around with you know that yeah. it, it wasn't people who were going to be jealous of me or envious or weird about it you know i think everybody around me knew they know what sort of person i am so i don't know it was just um it was great to think oh, okay i can do anything now but you also you don't want to go and you, you, you know what do i invest into and what yeah. do I, it's, it's quite a strange situation when it happened and you know it officially happened and that check you got given that huge check right let's just imagine it's one of those 
Massive novelty checks. checks. Yeah, <laughs> novelty checks. Um, did you purposely do anything with your environment? Like, did you take yourself away to process anything, or was it literally like back to school runs from from the Monday? The weird thing is that we actually had a holiday booked, so it was going through, and like my wife went away a day before, so I actually did the final wrap up of the due diligence, and then went out. To, it was only in Sense Parks, so a couple of hours away from where we live. So I went out to meet them and it was just kind of like, I don't think, I think the truth is, and she probably won't listen to this anyway, so it's fine. But I think my wife struggled to deal with the whole thing more than I did. Mm. That that's what shocked me the most that like maybe our life didn't change properly because, you know, she was still worried about trivial things. And I'm like, I don't think you've really grasped the level of opportunity we've got now. So my life just kind of went a bit normal. So I was like, okay, I'll just go back to work. (laughs) Has she caught up with things now? yeah yeah in many ways um now you like that stop buying the handbag <laughs> yeah yeah that's the the way she's caught up now i don't want to be mean to her and stereotype that whole she's not a gold digger type person but yeah we've, we've done well at spending the money but she um she's had to have a crash course in what i went through in terms of that mindset journey you go on in terms of how to think wealthy rather than you know like the mindset of of what it takes to achieve it she had to go through a crash course of you need to catch me up or else we're we're two different people you know and she's had to go through a lot of her own personal sort of breakthroughs since we've sold really that's that's a really interesting aspect um so retirement wasn't for you and now you've created coaching culture yeah talk about this and how this came about and and what you guys want to do with this now well i think you know the the truth of it is e-learning is so we sell corporate e-learning we don't necessarily sell you know the um, thinkific style courses that we see in our business world we were selling to corporate so it's all mostly compliance type stuff the health and safety the data protection those things so we were selling e-learning but it's quite box tick compliance sheep dipping it's not real transformational change so whereas i had had some coaching and i know i knew the value of coaching and i had a friend who was a coach and we were thinking coaching gets real transformational change real sustainable behavior change but it's reserved for the execs it's time consuming it's expensive how can we make coaching more accessible more affordable you know so i'm this e-learning tech guy and i'm thinking can we actually make coaching a digital and at first i thought actually it's very face-to-face it's about the rapport and the interaction and the adapting and things but when i broke it down and thought it's actually about really good questions and it's about showing people another perspective it's about goal setting and feedback and accountability it's about journaling maybe it's so when i broke it down i thought it's not that far-fetched to think that you can be asked questions online and you can maybe watch sort of these videos to show you a new perspective so I didn't want to create an e-learning company where it's, I know something, I've told you, you know something, and it's very training. We wanted to open people's minds and see things differently. So we created this tool called Mindset. Um, And funnily enough, I'll tell you the truth. As a marketing sort of gimmick, I wanted to create a magazine to attract people who might buy Mindset. And we went through this sort of like epiphany moment of, in the corporate world, we've talked about learning culture for the last 30 years it went from being in a classroom where chalk and talk somebody's telling students whereas now it becomes blended between online offline it's centered around the learner and all these terms we use in Mm. the corporate world well we thought coaching needs to go through the same revolution it needs to stop being between a coach and a 
exec in a room over there and be something that's cultural, it's strategic, it's where every manager can coach, everyone's got access to coaching. Mm. So we coined this phrase of coaching culture, created a magazine around it and thought anyone who's interested in a magazine called Coach Culture will probably be interested in our coaching yeah. software but the magazine just really took off and people were more bought into that and they were like so now we do like podcasts and webinars and we put on our coaching culture conference and we do all this stuff around the community and people have really flocked to it and now we offer them mindset but we offer them things like 360 feedback tools engagement surveys some e-learning um, and, and we're launching this new thing later this year about performance management which is a way for managers to set objectives and continuous appraisal systems so it's very corporate. I think a lot of people that listen to a founder's podcast will be a bit turned off by some of this stuff. But in, in <laughs> our world, well, yeah, well, in our world of sort of employee development, I guess people who've yeah. got employees and teams yeah, will get cool. some of this. But, you know, we, we provide some really useful tools and it's just took off. I mean, we've got clients now like Etihad and Shell and Morton's and um, we've got lots of universities, a few councils, and I can feel this i mean we won an award yesterday some fsb awards yeah so so it feels to me like i'm going through that same process i think some of my team around me are like we're doing crazy things and i'm just like no this is the day job i've been here before <laughs> and it, it's going well but this time now that i don't need the mansion and the cars and whatever yeah. I, I think i'll go a lot further with this one and grow it further and look for a I've got this crazy idea. I'm saying it's crazy, but it's not. I should believe in it. I could probably take this public if I, mm. you know, five years, seven years, you know, it's not beyond me to do a nine figure exit this time and then continue as this, you know, when you sell a company, this is one thing people don't think about. When you sell a company and you hand over control, then that's that. But when you go public, you can keep control and, yeah. and grow further. So, that was a bit of a revelation for me to think, what if I try and aim for public this time? But I don't know, if someone come and offered me 50 million in two years, <laughs> it'd be the hardest thing to walk away from, but sure. I don't know. Are you are you running the company differently than you did before? Uh, yes, um, yeah. I think just naturally, I don't think on purpose. I just think, you know, we're doing things slightly differently, different people, yeah. different brand and things. So there's a few things differently, but then actually a lot of the strategies are like very similar. The way that I organize the departments and the roles and the way that I lead and structure the week. There's a lot of similarities, but just just naturally this this community first model that we've got with the magazine and stuff, that that's kind of like gives us a lot more content marketing to do. So there's a few differences, but it is a blueprint really i'm not going to go and reinvent the wheel and, and tr risk you know i'm going for the similar market similar sort yeah, of yeah. subscription model well, that's uh, what works right i think talking about reinventing the wheel i think people spend a lot of time trying to do that yeah whereas what you're doing is your coaching has been around for years uh it's nothing new but you're making it easily much more accessible uh, and you know price points and the community aspect and both online and offline format side of things which is really great it's it's making the will shinier right basically yeah well i'll tell Walk you in. the way i think of it is that like as i told you at the start you know i dabbled with environmental technologies and the social media platform mm. some e-commerce this other this other cleaning company accreditation business i started <laughs> and, and i woke up one day and i'm like okay i've gone you know this far and this far and this far and this far but if i had added them all up i would be where i want to be so i need to like stick through that bit mm. where it gets tough and so what i want to do now is just start sort of stay in one lane and not have 
10 different things and not be focused. And I've had to learn to be focused. It's not natural to me. So I I think it's like my kid, he plays Minecraft and he starts a new world every single time. And I think if you had done one world, all of those hundreds (laughs) of worlds, it would be this amazing place. He's probably like, dad, just leave me to play. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is literally what his his issue is with me. And I I think that, I think that I've built lots of things and actually I should build on it and on it and on it. And entrepreneurs are very guilty of that. The shiny new object, the quickest way and quickest route to the cash, but just if you can just find something, this is why I think passion is important. If you find something that you're passionate about, then you can stick in, in that field and that lane, yeah. then uh, you can build on it. And, uh, you know, I could have had a much bigger and better following and career if I'd done this earlier. Um, so it is similar um, because I don't want to go and do something different where I've got to learn, a, learn the zero to a million bit again. I, I, I want to now get to the next phase, you know? Yeah, Definitely for you when you are you know that's shiny object syndrome to not do that do you do you have things in like your outside of work to still give you that that buzz of something new has that i for me i love it when i start a little new project yeah what what i've kind of had to do to hack that part of me but keep Mm. it in little parameters that keep it meaningful like I'm, i'm progressing is our marketing does feel like I get to do new and exciting things. So in my old place, I did things like a flash mob and I did something I've never seen anybody do still where in an exhibition, I hired two stands opposite each other and we put a fake company in it. We were saying we're saving the world from boring e-learning and the company opposite that this fake one we said was boring (laughs) e-learning and we were having a lot of banter. So everyone walking a past was stopping, you know, so those little, you know, we, we, we do stuff now, um, where I'm challenging myself, but within the remit of our own brand. So I don't really do anything. I don't want this to sound like I'm sad. I don't have hobbies. I don't necessarily, I've started playing football again. I did play a little bit of poker, but, but in my head, everything is, but poker's to learn decision-making for business and football's to learn leadership for business. Business is my hobby. And just some people talk about football. Was he offside or was he not? I talk about markets and models and, that's it you know yeah so I'm a bit sad but I'm, I'm i guess i'm lucky that my ha- my hobby is something that i can do for a living and make money from and you mentioned earlier about the people around you how important are those people around you those that environment that you're in so that this hobby can can still be exciting enough to talk about i guess because you don't just want to have a hobby and not be able to talk to anyone about it yeah there's i guess there's different people around me and like my family i try not to really talk about work and things just because i don't think they're that interested and you know they i wear different roles you know i'm a husband i'm a father i'm a brother son friend i'm a manager leader member of society and humanity and all these different hats that i wear and i try and stick to the roles that matter and but my team around me is so important because we are going to always be a small team because of the nature of the model. And that means, you know, every employee is really critical. Um, So one of the biggest things I look for in recruiting the team is can they work with me? Can I, you know, like that, they're not just a number or we don't expect to get rid of them if they piss us off. We have to get it right, you know. So growing the team is something I think I'm pretty good at and enjoy. But then I've got my... Like I was saying before, you know, I, I need people around me to impress and having my peer to peer, my my entrepreneur friends who, you know, they're 
acquiring a business they're selling a business they're launching in america they are doing things that make me think i want to do that whereas my old friends they would moan about their boss moan about their wife moan you know only get excited when the next fifa was coming out so who i hang around with shapes massively what i think about and being able to go to them with the same challenges you know and actually the mentoring side of conversations that i do has allowed me to think about a hundred more challenges than i would have if i just focused on my business so mm. i've learned so much from those people around me you know the the business owners um but yeah it's it i don't think anything will change where being the business owner being being the, the guy at the top is not lonely like you just have so much in your head that you uniquely think about that nobody will ever get and relate to that it just feels lonely no yeah. matter what you know and that's that's just one of the challenges it's weird though isn't it that it feels super lonely, but every other founder or CEO or person at the top also can relate to that. Yeah. Which almost counterproduces the loneliness, but it still is there because it's all independent thoughts. I think I've learned to live with it. You know, I think yeah. this this entrepreneurial thing is what I call head shit, I guess the way we talk about mindset i just you know like it's all the shit that goes through your head around you're not good enough and yeah, all that you know like it's just a complete that's the name of the game that's the battle you know being able to and it's a constant yeah yeah it just is you know being able to sort of feel the fear and do it anyway and all those sorts of things exactly listen adam one of my uh, final questions to you is the, the one that i ask everyone is if you could give three tips to a founder that wants to go on a similar journey to you to sell their business what would those three tips be so for me people often talk about mindset being the most important thing i think the market is the most important thing i've been in businesses where they were the best in their field but the market was shrinking they shrank the market i've been in businesses where they were awful the market exploded they were amazing i think getting in a growing market just makes everything so much easier and i think people don't tend to choose their market they fall into a market and like i would i would give some serious thought into the market conditions um I, I think the model so key. I think that, you know, not time for money, being able to do something that's scalable, that allows you to uh, siphon more value for less. Um, you know, I think everyone struggles with those sorts of work-life balances. That's never been an issue for me. I've always been able to scale my value. Mm. Uh, and yeah, and then it would be mindset. I would then say, you know, it's about that self-belief and that resilience and being able to sort of develop those things and that does come from reading and books and pushing your comfort zone and having the right mentors and people around you and things like that so i'd say market model mindset that's pretty much it the three m's yeah i've got i've got two more m's but you said three so ah, you can come on again and we'll do the other thing <laughs> okay. yeah, i'm not giving you the chance to do all five but listen adam thank you so much for coming on if anyone wants to chat with you discuss with you find out more about what you're about what's the best way for them to follow your stuff uh typically they can find me on facebook i'm just happy to chat normally friend to friend i don't have any crazy sort of brand where you can do that but uh yeah uh, happy to connect on facebook or linkedin um yeah at some point if you go to adamcara.com i think there's just an emoji on it but i think yeah, i went some, on there earlier and i was like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah at, at some point i think there'll be some way for people to um interact with me on a more formal basis but yeah i'm happy to connect with anyone just just enjoy helping people who are starting up and also uh you know like-minded people and all that so amazing listen adam thank you so much for coming on i've really enjoyed our conversation uh this has been founders 365 with adam cara and me stephen Hagty. thanks everyone for listening and watching